Hello and welcome to the Tell People You Love Them podcast. My name is Rahul Joshi, and today I'm here with Isabel Lee, the owner proprietor of Aloha Eats, a Hawaiian cafe and restaurant in the Lincoln Park neighborhood of Chicago. One of my favorites. Isabel, welcome. Hi. Hello. <laughs> How's your day going so far? Ah, it's going well. Day off is always a good day. Yeah, I, I bet. Um, I'm really glad that we, you know, we're finally able to have this chat. I know it took a couple of weeks to, to make it happen. Um, but honestly, Aloha Eats is, is one of my favorite places to, to get food. So I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about it today. Yeah, thanks for asking. Sure. Do you want to start off uh, by just telling us a little bit about first about yourself and then maybe about the restaurant, uh, how it got started, you know, your position in the restaurant, all that stuff? Um, yeah. So I'm currently owning and running everything, but it started in 2004 uh, when my brother and my dad opened it. They opened it like the summer after I graduated high school. Uh, so my brother was already in Chicago and my dad was looking for a place in Hawaii to like start another plate lunch place. Plate lunch is incredibly popular and common in Hawaii. So my brother was like, do you maybe want to consider moving it to Chicago? Chicago is a really foodie city. It'll be something different. And it was a big jump for my dad because he, you know, I'm sure. had to kind of do it on his own and they started it together. Wow. So it started this after you graduated high school. Did you kind of jump right in or did they just start it and run it and you came back in a little um, bit? Yeah. Later? So they started it um, and I came in 2006. I transferred okay. to UIC and then I've been here since just to kind of help out. Well, okay. So you came, you were going to college out of state and transferred in to help out with the family yeah. business. Awesome. What was their experience like starting in, in 2004 and, and all the way till you joined? Do you have any like funny stories or fun, tough stories from what they what they told you? Um, you know, essentially, it, it's it's a problem we still have now where people don't understand what plate lunch is. You know, you still sure. you still kind of have to explain it, even though the concept is very simple, right? It's it's sides and it's a main entree. Like, there's nothing crazy about it. It's teriyaki. It's fried chicken. Um, right. But a lot of people at the time really were expecting like pineapples or something more exotic, you know. Mm. Um, and nowadays people are expecting expecting poke, right? Like that's the most popular. So yeah. So it was trying so, to explain what it was without a big budget of like marketing and um, making a show of it. Yeah, I mean, for, for those who don't know, do you mind just sharing a little bit maybe about the history and how it got started and, and why, uh, you know, the restaurant or La Heights decided to do plate lunch instead of anything else that, like, that's Hawaiian fare? Yeah, um, plate lunch, it started in the 1880s during the plantation era. So you had uh, field workers from like China, Japan, Portugal, mm -hmm. Philippines, and they'd all come to work in the fields. And during lunchtime, they would bring their leftovers, which had to be something hearty, right? So it would, right. you know, a majority of them had like rice or noodles as like a main starch and then whatever heavy meat portion just to hold them over throughout the day. So people would share their leftovers and, you know, you start seeing that commonality, right? Like people are keeping their starch, sharing their meats, Um and then at that point, it became so common that food trucks started existing for that type of food that people were familiar with. They didn't have to bring it anymore. 
Um, and then by right. 1930s, Mac salad was introduced. And so basically it's Pan-Asian food. Um, mm-hmm. It consists mostly of two scoops of white rice, one scoop of Mac salad and your main entree. Thanks for that history. You know, what comes to mind is, is something similar and I think like cross-culturally where folks in the South have like a meat plus three or meat plus two kind of cafeteria mm-hmm. style food. And it seems like, you know, not that to say that the food is the same, but it's a very similar style of, of, uh, you know, serving a large number of people, you know, without um, too much difficulty. Right. So you said that, you know, Mac salad was introduced in the 1930s. And I know now sort of that spam is a really popular common dish uh, in Hawaiian food. And I guess, tell me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but that, that's my understanding. Oh right yeah, now. absolutely. Yeah. Um, Can you tell me how, how that came into play? <clears throat> yeah. Um, Spam arrived in the islands during uh, World War II as lunch and meat for GIs. And you have that very similar story across many other Asian countries and Pacific islands where Mm -hmm. GIs came in and they had a lot of spam. I mean, you know, it kind of heavy to ship, but it was something that would last and they would trade with locals for fresh produce, right? Because you can only eat so much spam. Um, Yeah. And so... Being from our like more island or like Asian cultures, we had a lot of different starch options. I feel like more than the Midwest, which is strictly potatoes, you know? Yeah, um, so exactly. So you pair like a little bit of Spam with like a good chunk of something more basic like rice or noodles, and it can go a long way. So it it's stayed a staple um, in our culture because of that. Got it. So it, it has the, the versatility of being able to be paired with anything, but also it has a longer shelf life than some other, you know, any other kind of proteins. Yeah. So, and, and okay. because, because of how salty it is and, you know, yeah. you can feed the whole family on one can, right? Like you don't need a ton of it. Right. Sometimes it can work as like almost like a seasoning in another dish. Yeah, and absolutely. Add, and add like the extra level of flavor. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I think spam got a, a bad rap. I think when I was growing up, you know, mid 2000s, people always looked at it as too salty. And this is like the era where people were using, I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> and everyone wanted a little bit more synthetic and people looked at spam negatively, but it's delicious. Yeah. Like you put spam on almost anything. Like I, I've had it uh, with eggs, with rice, like in Musubi. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also tell me my pronunciations are, are incorrect. Okay. But I'm, I'm going to try my best. Um, and I, I think it's delicious. I'm a huge fan. And Yeah, usually yeah. when people come in and they're like, well, what's Spam like? And I was like, well, do you eat hot dogs? It, I mean, it is a saltier version of a hot dog, but ultimately yeah. they're of the same family of processed meat. Yeah, yeah, it's it's processed meat. And, and the name is not like necessarily, I guess people don't think it's conducive to, um, like it's not, maybe not an appetizing name, mm-hmm. but... It's the same thing as a hot dog, and I bet hot dogs are the same quality, if not worse, right. depending on where you get them. Um, okay, so that was a that was a wonderful introduction. I think we kind of got away from where I wanted to go, but uh, I guess my next question is is about the restaurant. Like, it's in an incredible neighborhood in Lincoln Park, and mm. it's such a busy street. You know, with with Clark Street having tons of restaurants and tons of options. Is that the original location, or did you move there at some point? How did how'd yeah, you it was. It was definitely the original location. I think when my dad first came, he had looked all over the city and was looking essentially for a place that was already built out, right? Mm-hmm. Like building a place from scratch. I cannot even imagine how much people pay for that. Yeah. 
Um, so it was like like a burger joint. So it did have like a full kitchen. Um, but at the time, that strip that it is now was not as bustling. Mm-hmm. You know, like there just weren't as many restaurants or at least popular restaurants yeah. um, as it has right now that it's people come. It's like more of a destination of a street. Yeah. Do you find that over the, the past couple of years or not even past couple, but like five, 10 years with uh, restaurants like Francis Deli and the Molly's Cupcakes that that's next door, that foot traffic has like really increased and that's helped out uh, the restaurant a lot? Oh yeah, definitely. Especially with Molly's next door, because, um, you know, for those who don't know, Molly's Cupcakes has won Cupcake Wars like time and time again. So people come, it's a destination. And I've had customers from Hawaii go specifically to Molly's and then notice us. Oh, wow. Like after, you know, and they're like, oh, I had no idea you were here. But, you know, it's kind of an afterthought to think about plate lunch if you just expect it not to be in the city. People who even want it don't even think about it. Yeah, I think that the the type of food you serve is not maybe as popularized as some other types these days. Like, for example, you know, there's a, a bunch of new ramen stores opening up in, in the Chicago area, and they're owned by mm-hmm. larger uh, groups like Let Us Entertain You, but they really do out the whole thing, and people who maybe weren't familiar with ramen are not going there. And I, I feel like that type of revolution has to happen with plate lunch or, you know, Hawaiian fare uh, in general, because it, it's so delicious. It is like pleasing for all types of, uh, all types of palates, like vegetarian, pescatarian, you can get something. I, I feel like that needs to happen, uh, but it, it's mm-hmm. awesome to get the extra business. I'm sure from, uh, from Molly's and like, I'm not sure, you know, if your dad and brother are still involved, but it seems like they just had the foresight to pick what is really like one of the busiest strips in, in Lincoln park. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it became one of the busier strips. Yeah. Um, there's a plus and minus to that, right? So we do get a lot more foot traffic. There's a lot more uh, people coming through. But at the same time, we are paying more of a premium right. because of how much everybody else is paying to be on this strip. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so if you were there in, you came, you came back in 2006, right? You said to the mm-hmm. business. So what was it like? Uh, after you joined for a couple of years and then going into the recession 2000, you know, late 2007, 8, 9, 10, how did that affect the business? Were people still coming in? Was it just, was it really tough? Can you tell me about that? Yeah, people, people were coming in and oddly enough during that time, I, I don't even know why, but um, my brother and my dad considered expanding, oh. right? They wanted to have, make it into a franchise, have people have their own, locations. And um, for a lot of our original customers, we used to be called Aloha Grill, right? So a lot of people will still call us Aloha Grill. Um, and we changed our name to Aloha Eats purely for the reason of expanding because there's other like Aloha Grills in other states. Sure. Um, so that was like one of the things that they wanted to do at that time. And it just never picked up because, you know, a lot of like money situations and you know, the interest could only go so far. So I feel like that's one of the major things that we maybe dropped the ball on was the timing on trying to expand. Sure. Any thoughts about doing that now? Honestly, now, because it's just me, I'm just like trying to keep the one going. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. You can't imagine what it's been like. So, you know, you've survived the recession and, you know, 
the pandemic, there's not that many people. Anything about the history of the world that I've ever gone through things like that. So, can you tell me a bit about how the pandemic affected your business in terms of number of people coming in, working with uh, you know delivery services or your you know online ordering? How did you manage to to make it through? Yeah. So fortunately, our food is predominantly takeout, right? So. We don't do any sort of sit down. Everything comes in the takeout box, regardless if you're eating in or taking out. So we didn't have to pivot as much as other sit down restaurants. And I really feel for them during that time because um, they had a lot to like work through. So that was definitely a plus on our end. We never had online ordering up until that point. We kind of avoided it for as long as we could, um, especially through a third party that we still don't do. we do it. We do all our online ordering through our POS system. Mm-hmm. And that just, um, go ahead, go ahead. Oh yeah. And so that, that helped facilitate because, you know, especially with people not wanting to like interact with other people, um, just for safety, it was easier to order online or call something in, um, than to like come in to the restaurant. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it sounds like it was a pretty easy is not the right word, but simpler transition Right. Or if any kind of transition for you and your staff. Definitely. Were, yeah. were you able to, to keep all the folks who were working for you or did you kind of dial it back to, to you spending more time in the restaurant? And how was that? No, absolutely. We have always tried to keep everybody for the maximum hours that they want. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a, an extremely small staff. Sure. So every, basically everyone who is there uh, is there every day. Right. So um, the problem is, I guess, if somebody gets sick, then everybody else has to pick it up. So that was the only real downside to the pandemic is because, you know, um, during COVID, if somebody had COVID, you'd be like, okay, well, you can't come in, obviously. But then we're out of somebody and everybody else has to pick up the slack. Yeah, it's I can't imagine what that would have been like. Uh, I know that other restaurants, especially in that area, had decently high turnover in staff. It sounds like you haven't experienced that. Is that was that is that accurate or? Um, yeah, no. At the time, we didn't. We did okay. Um, I wouldn't say turnover for us was related to COVID. Okay. You know, like I feel like it's it's a general tone turnover that just happens in the industry. But I I wouldn't say it was related to COVID at all. That makes sense. I'm not an expert on the restaurant industry, but I know the turnover <laughs> has been. Some people have, have really struggled with just getting the number of people to staff the restaurant. But it's nice that you have a smaller restaurant, not definitely tiny, mm-hmm. but enough where you know, you're there every day. Everyone else is familiar with stuff. So it makes it easier to continue, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of why you decided to keep the restaurant going and, and what it's been like for you as an owner for the last 15 or so years. And I think the first thing that I would like to, to ask you is, do you remember any time someone, whether it's like a friend or a family member saying like, this is going to fail, like, why are you wasting your life or your talent, you know, doing this? And I want, like, could you tell me how, if that happened, how it made you feel and kind of what inspired you to then keep going? Um, I actually can't Mostly because, like, when my dad started it, um, even though it was so far from home, he had most of his life, he had run restaurants and he had been cooking. 
So there's never been a time that somebody's been like, well, obviously you can't do this because he has he's had the background. that history. Yeah. Yeah. He's had that background of doing that for so long. Um, and for me, it's actually been really easy because I didn't start this from scratch. I'm, I'm literally just trying to keep it going, yeah. but like, you know, I didn't have to build it from the ground up. That's fair. Do you have any other experience? So actually, let me take a step back. That's actually amazing. I think a lot of people, when they start their own adventure in whether it's like being their own boss to any degree, there's always some, someone in their life saying, you know, why don't you do the traditional route, whatever that might mean for them. And mm-hmm. I think having that support, you know, your father having that support from his friends, family, and, and just his experience, it sounds like that's truly amazing. And and I'm sure that's part of the reason that the restaurant has been around for so long is that no one is ever telling him why or what's wrong with you, like do something else. Right. Yeah. Are there any other times maybe like outside of the pandemic or, or the recession that have really challenged your beliefs in wanting to keep the restaurant going just for yourself or you just outside of the pandemic? Yeah. Anything like maybe you have like a couple rough weeks or months or just an experience where you come home and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Anything like that ever happened to you? Oh yeah. Most of the time, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, every week is a different challenge. So um, let's say somebody, somebody new in the kitchen decides to quit. Right. So like, we'll always have like somebody new on the wing and um, they decide to quit. And with our small staff, everybody has to kind of like pick up and readjust. Uh, Also because we've been here for so long, things are starting to break down, (laughs) you know? So I am constantly trying to troubleshoot or find somebody to fix something that we've had for so long or, Sometimes it's even a pipe that I can't even see. (laughs) And they're like, okay, well, you have to replace this. And I was like, I didn't even know it was there. Yeah. But it's a constant challenge every time with like things kind of turning over um, and trying to make it work that's feasible for us because we are small and, you know, I'm trying to retain as much money as we can in case of the next thing, right? right? We don't know what's happening next. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, it was like monkey pox. And then there's right. you, you, maybe like tornadoes are coming through. You're just, you can never know sometimes. Right. Exactly. So two things about the the things that are breaking down and, and kind of touching on maybe the, some of the supply chain issues that have played lots of restaurants and, and just businesses around the country. Um, the first mm-hmm. one, and I guess is more general question, have you in trying to either get new equipment or have equipment fixed, experience those supply chain issues? And has it, what are the wait times or how have they changed for you in the past months or the past year, if at all? Um, I feel like if anything, it's just a little more expensive than it used okay. to be, you know? So like um, for basically anything to get it shipped right now, there's a premium on shipping. Mm-hmm even though gas prices are still fluctuating, they're like, okay, well, we're going to tack on this percentage just because to cover our bases. And right. I understand, but like we still eat that cost. Yeah. You always have to eat that. Okay. That makes right. sense. The The other part of this, which we've talked about very briefly before is the cost mm-hmm. of the raw goods. Mm-hmm. And I know we have chatted about things as specific as cornstarch becoming really expensive. Right. Uh, are there mm-hmm. any other examples that you can tell me about where you're really surprised by the dramatic increase in costs and how does that affect the business? 
Um, the very first item to go up was cooking oil, and it went up 35%. Cooking oil. So either for the grill or the fryer, um, doesn't even matter. Across the board, 35% increase. Wow. Um, and that's kind of how it's been for a lot of the things that we use food-wise. Um, packaging has gone up a little bit, but not not half as quickly. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of like the triggering effect, right? Yeah. Like everything thereafter goes up. Um, has definitely gone up. And most recently it's been eggs. Eggs hmm. have gotten crazy expensive and that correlates with everything that uses eggs, right? So we use a lot of macaroni. We use a lot of mayo. I'm paying more than 50% of what I did two years ago. Wow. So you've, your cost has gone up one and a half times Absolutely. But those are, those aren't the things that you can't, you can't directly change the menu to reflect these prices, right? You can't be like, okay, all of a sudden I'm paying more. So you have to pay more. Right. Have you, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't, it's, it's tough, especially for uh, ingredients that are are across the menu that the customer doesn't always see because they might say, well, why is my side of Mac salad 50 cents more? And that might, actually deter them from getting a side instead of you having mm-hmm. to eat the cost and maybe the price of the, the chicken entree, the steak entree increases. Right. Have your prices gone up significantly since you started because of that at all? Um, not significantly. Um, in general, every business, at least for restaurants, they increase their prices consistently throughout the right. year. Like that's something that kind of always happens. And I just feel like, especially in other restaurants, um, they'll do bigger jumps, okay. right? They'll do like, okay, we're doing this giant increase just because we have to. This is probably my downfall is that it worries me to do such big jumps. Mm-hmm. So I do mine very incrementally so that it's, it's, you know, the food cost jumps were really hard for me whenever I saw them. Yeah. Um, so I don't actually want to pass on that experience to our customers. So is our increases are a little more gradual. You're you're very kind in doing that. I'm sure you, I'm sure the the customers maybe some people would fall off, but the food is so good. I don't imagine people you know stopping. Um, honest. Yeah. Our our portions are still really really good. Yeah. Um, even a mini plate after tax, you can still get it for like ten eleven dollars. So I. I, I can't imagine a better deal there, for not. anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm not worried about like losing people in that sense because you get a pound of chicken when you order a full plate. Yeah. You know, it's it's a pound of chicken. So if 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 you can get that much somewhere else for a better price, then by all means. You should go. You know? Yeah. I mean yeah. I that's part of the reason I think Aloha Eats is, is amazing. And maybe you should increase the price a little bit, but, but at the same time, you know, you, you truly in like Chicago proper and especially on the North side, I don't think Mm -hmm. there is a better, you know, protein to carb ratio in any restaurant and, and yeah, to have such high quality and be so delicious. Yeah. We try, we try to keep it as close to, you know, what it should be in like Hawaii portions, you know, when you go to Hawaii, You should expect a lot of food because that's what you're going to get. And that's just been the history of plate lunch that I think we talked about earlier. You need to be fed a lot to work, you know, such extended hours, I guess, in the in the plantations where the people are working. So, yeah. And 
you know, now it's it's like what people eat for like after a surf session or, you know, like it's it's hearty for a reason. It's it's comforting. Yeah, it's it's super comforting. Okay. Um, wow. Any any other interesting raw food costs that have been like really significant? Like I know we talked about uh, the beef and I don't know if it's just the short ribs or if it was beef in general. Oh, it's specifically the short ribs have increased okay. a lot. And I tried to find like an alternative that would maybe make sense, but haven't found anything. Um, I have no idea why short ribs are so expensive, but they are. Have you noticed any changes in ordering patterns based off of the increases that you've seen or any kind of correlation? So as an example, like I know you have market price for the mm-hmm. short ribs. Do, do less people order short ribs now because of that? Actually, no. Really? I feel like people who know how to eat short ribs, meaning you have to eat the gristle, right? Like you have to go down to the bone. Yeah. If you know how to eat it and that's what you enjoy, people pay the premium. Wow. I wouldn't personally. Like I, I would maybe do it as like a treat, but yeah. like, you know, if we, we had considered at one point just taking it off the menu, we're like, well, this has gotten really expensive. Yeah. Um, or you just charge people for what they need to be charged and they're choosing if they want it or and not. They and they still do because they are comparing those prices to say like buying it in the market. True. Yeah. Because right? even even beef right now in the market still like it's you know everything's still pretty expensive. Yeah, I think I don't think it's going to go down anytime soon. Have you seen any reduction in your your raw good prices? No. Right. Yeah. That's very little. But even then, it fluctuates. Sure. So if it's something this week, it's something, something else next yeah. week. And um, unfortunately, because of the way we order, and we order multiple times a week. We have a really small kitchen. Um, I can't guess how much prices are going to be yeah like to to be like okay i'm going to buy more now so that a month from now i you know don't have to spend that much yeah it's it's you can't make it a science really because the market is so is so volatile right now that you kind of just have to roll with it which right yeah that that sounds very tough um kind of getting into into your experience now so you said you went to uic and Mm -hmm. Did you do any kind of hospitality work or did you learn the business purely from your dad and brother and then kind of take it over? How did that, how did the transition happen? Yeah. No, I was purely just, you know, coming from working in the restaurant. Um, my brother had been in hospitality since high school okay. as well because my parents did have a restaurant when we were growing up. So he's he's been in the server side. Yeah. He's been kind of on that end. So our family in general has kind of been in that realm for a long time. So you have it, you know, it's family business in the family saying it's in the, in your family's blood is maybe not the, the most PC way of saying it, but it sounds like you, right. that's the, that's how you learn. I think that's the personally, the best way to learn how to do anything. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, transitioning a little bit more into some positive stuff. Do you remember any particular customer who has like come up to you and said, like, wow, your food is amazing. And is that the kind of compliment that you'd like to receive as a, as an owner? And does it help you, you know, in the tough times, keep the restaurant open or going? Can you tell me about oh, that? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, there's always going to be a negative customer. Like there's always going to be somebody who's angry about something or other, regardless if it's something is actually wrong. Yeah. Right. This is just kind of the nature of people. Um, for every 
kind of negative person, we have maybe 10 positive interactions. Wow. Uh, so it offsets it. Yeah. Thank goodness, right? Because if, if it didn't offset it, then it would be uh, way more of a struggle. Um, but I, I love it when people come up and tell us that they loved it or it reminded them of home or a trip or anything like that, especially locals, sure. locals from Hawaii who are like, you know, we're really homesick. This really hit the spot. Um, things like that remind us why we're still doing this, yeah. even though it can be a struggle a lot of the time. I was like, this is what we're here for is to kind of fulfill this, this need. Are there a lot of, of locals in the area who come in and come in and eat or is it more um, like, yeah, go ahead. No, surprisingly, there are a lot of locals because, um, you know, as you're probably aware, the living costs of Hawaii is insane, right? So a lot of people tend to move away just for a better life, an easier life. A lot of them tend to make it to the Midwest, Okay. right? It's it's a lot cheaper, yeah. not, not necessarily in the city, but in the suburbs or surrounding sure. states. And they will make that trip um, to come up and just like get their fix and then go back so um like from out of state to come up and yeah absolutely wow. what's the furthest that someone that you know someone has driven i don't even know i mean crossing state I mean, lines like, are already yeah, a huge drive right like you're talking from chicago your state lines are are minimum an hour if you're you know on a good day right from indiana and, and wisconsin so that right there is like a testament to how you know how good the food must be Without me having yeah. to say anything else, people, there's right. not that many people willing to cross state lines for food. So that is. Yeah. You know, food, food is, is kind of that thing that reminds you of like a moment. It's kind of like a scent, you know, like you're yeah. like a song, like anything like that, that kind of like takes you back. Um, it's that little bit of comfort that you can get. Yeah. A little bit of comfort, nostalgia, like kind of a. Not that people aren't happy, but it makes you over the top right. happy, right? And, and that's why we try to keep the food as close to what you would get in Hawaii versus sure. maybe trying to reinvent it in some other way. Yeah. In okay, so actually, let's let's dive into that a little bit more. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the items that you have on your menu, uh, as far as plate lunch and then some sides, and maybe what your favorite item would be, or you know someone who is not a, like a local or a, a Hawaiian, um, what should they order to get like the proper Aloha Eats experience when they come in? Um, definitely. I always recommend people stick with the sides, which is the rice and mac salad. Yeah. A lot of people aren't used to eating plain white rice, right? They need it like a fried rice or they need some sort of seasoning, but you do have the rice and the mac salad, which is more of a mild mac salad. It's not like sweet. It's not ex extremely flavorful mm -hmm. you have those milder sides to kind of offset whatever protein there is that usually has a lot more flavor right yeah. so you usually have like plain mashed potatoes with like a hearty or like steak or something because you need you need the balance right. um so yeah a, a lot of our staples are like chicken katsu which is essentially fried chicken right it's breaded in the japanese breadcrumbs deep fried yes. but it comes with a sauce on the side um so that gives it a little more of a punch and anything barbecue. So we call it Hawaiian barbecue because the way we barbecue in Hawaii is that we marinate our meats mm -hmm. and then we grill it. 
and that's it's more that than like the mesquite like yeah the smoking barbecue sauce and yeah right. it, it, it's just the way we barbecue which is why it's called hawaiian barbecue um so most of our meats are marinated marinated for at least eight hours depending on which one it is sure just to soak up the flavor and then we just grill it we grill it to order and you know we have like beef and chicken things like that um and one other like main staple is the locomoco mm-hmm. so there are house-made hamburger patties and eggs any way you want them and gravy and it is extremely hearty yes um but it's very very comforting yeah i think you know as far as my personal uh like I don't know. I've been to Hawaii a couple of times with my family. I remember like the locomoco sticking out and I remember going there or going to a restaurant and getting it and not really being sure if this is, you know, who invented this first of all, because they're a genius and they also must like napping. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember really feeling that it is a fusion food and like kind of what you were saying at, at the, the beginning that this is like it's Pan-American fusion and it comes from so many different cultures where you have you know, burger meat, which is used, you know, across the world, but America's pretty famous for burgers and then mm-hmm. a gravy and eggs. And it just, yeah, it just hits you in all the right places. And I think it's one of those dishes for me, at least that makes me like super happy and, and super nostalgic. Like you can eat that, take a nap, go on a walk. It just like makes you feel right. happy. Yeah. Yeah. Actually the locomoco started on the big Island from teenagers who were, had like very little money and were trying to haggle essentially with, you know, a local plate lunch place to get the heartiest meal they could sure. for the cheapest price. So the the restaurant came to them and said, this is what we can give you for the money you have or the, the teenagers. Well, the kids were like, what if we do this? Oh, you know? okay. What if we wow. put a hamburger patty on it? Because that's, that's a good amount of protein, yeah. right? But it's not like super expensive. Right. You know, and they started kind of adding things to it. And that's kind of the lore of the locomoco. That is amazing. I feel like, for, yeah, for teenage kids, you're growing, you need, you know, tons of protein and carbs. Locomoco is pretty perfect. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite item on the menu? Uh, my favorite is actually the barbecue beef. Um, we do it different than they do back home in Hawaii because... Chicago knows how to cut its beef. Yes. Right. So you get a very thin, thin, like Italian beef style, like slice of beef. And then we marinate that. So it takes the marinade way better than it would in Hawaii, where it's like a little thicker cut. cut. Um, So we do that. And then we also chop it up. So it almost caramelizes to a point after it's cooked for a while. So the beef is like kind of melt in your mouth, kind of like my favorite. That sounds delicious. Is that something that you, like? it's your favorite. Do you recommend it for someone who's trying your food for the first time? Or should they do like the teriyaki chicken and chicken katsu? Which, which by the way, the chicken katsu is like the crispiest chicken katsu I've ever yeah. had. Um, so I, re- I personally recommend that. But yeah, can you tell us what direction people should Yeah. Go? It really depends. Um, some people who are more sensitive to like salt, you know, sure. um, but they'd have to tell me that, right? Like if they're more sensitive to salt, then I wouldn't recommend the beef because it is kind of a punch of flavor yeah. and a lot more than like the barbecue chicken. So 
it really depends but usually yeah i would do like a chinkatsu beef combo is probably like my go-to combo that sounds pretty epic i don't think i've ever done wow okay so next time i come in i'll I'll have to get a combo because i haven't i don't think i've done that one before um okay so the last part of the last like you know couple minutes we have here wanted to talk about first you know any advice you have for folks who might be running their own small business um, and anything you can teach them or just like general advice you can give them about how to keep going, how to stay positive or, and, you know, make it through these very strange times that we're in and then kind of get into uh, a couple other things about your own podcast and, and how people can find Aloha Eats and stuff like that. So any, any yeah, advice? Um, I would say you have to, in the least, love your food and love what you're doing. Um, And I feel like that goes for most career choices, right? Like it, it would be really hard to wake up and keep going, especially with all the negative things and like the difficult things that come with it. Yeah. Um, You have to want to solve those problems at the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah. They're terrible and they're difficult, but you have no one else to turn to. So like you have to want to do that. Um, so if you love your food, then by all means, but if you're just like trying to get by, it might be a lot more difficult mentally to like stay in the game. So, so big takeaways, you have to have a lot of self belief and, and, and love the product, whatever, whatever that might be, but really think about every day. Like I am doing this because i love to do it because I want to do it. And it maybe it feels more natural to do it than any of the other, other kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, that's pretty good. I think, I, I think a lot of people, the self-belief is p- where they would struggle the most. Um, and that, you know, it's from personal experience as well as just chatting with other folks. Is there anything right. that you, you know, you obviously love the food and you love the restaurant, but anything that people can do to help, you know, increase their self-belief? Is it like, talking to customers and getting compliments? Is it, you know, yeah. is it like reading positive think, reviews? How, how do you increase that? Yeah, I think it's um, like seeing the bigger purpose. So, you know, as we talked about earlier, like, sure, the food is good, but what does this food mean to somebody? Yeah. Right. People will drive across the miles. Lines. Yeah. Right just to get their fix of this thing like we're fulfilling this this kind of you know desire to have this food yeah and i I can't say the same for all food right like you know i mean like there's so many varieties of things but like if you if you feel at the end of the day that like your business might mean to some degree not not a huge degree but to some degree something to your customers like, you know, you see people come in weekly, you're like, well, they, they, you know, we're part of the routine. Like, I like that, yeah. you know? Um, I feel like that's, that's enough. Yeah. When you, when you see the people and you are, you can actually see the individual person that you're making a difference to on a day-to-day basis that I'm sure right. helps you out a lot. Yeah. Do you have any like favorite customer stories? Like, or anyone, like, I know you mentioned the people driving from out of state, but anyone, anyone else that you really love? Honestly, like being here as long as we have, I have been really 
grateful to see families kind of appear. Yeah. Right. You see people who came in on a first date. You see them get married and have children. Those kids are eating plate lunch. And it's it's kind of fun to see the progress of people, even though we're just a restaurant, you know. Yeah, you see them grow up and I, I bet you you're a part of their like their family at that point. Like you'll be able to say like, oh, I saw your mom and dad on their first date. You know, that must feel right. really special, I bet. Yeah. It's definitely fun to kind of see that growth and um, to see the kids come in on their own in order. And it's just, it's fun to be a part of their lives in that sense. Yeah. I think the other part of, about that that makes your restaurant super cool is that you have been around for so long. Like all, I, mm-hmm. I'm not super familiar with how long the other restaurants in, you know, on that strip and in Lincoln Park have been there, but, you know, more than 15 years is a, you know, pretty big achievement for, for any restaurant, you know, let alone something mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's not like backed by a huge, uh, by a huge company, you know, it's like a privately right. owned restaurant. I think that's really amazing. Yeah. We're still kicking. Yeah, you definitely still <laughs> are. Um, couple, couple last things. Um, what is your preferred way to like, for people to, to compliment you? Like, do you want just someone to come in and give you a tip? Do you want someone to come up to you and say, Hey, I love your food just, or someone who comes back every day and just, and gets their, their lunch. Any preference? You know, I really, I really love it when people tell other people about us. Word of mouth is probably like the best form of marketing. And it always has been, you know, to hear from somebody that, you know, that like they love it and, you know, people come in constantly and bring in new faces and they're like explaining the menu to them. Um, things like that I really enjoy. Yeah. But also, you know, we'll take we'll take a verbal compliment whenever and, you know, a review if you want. Um, it, it Honestly, any, anything is good. Anything is positive. Love it. Um, I'll make sure I'll make sure to say that or when next time I'm in, I will bring my buddy who's actually in town today. So we'll see if we can make oh, that nice. happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK, so a couple couple last questions that I need to run. Um, you mentioned that you had a podcast when we first started talking. We do. Could you tell us a little bit about that and, and plug it so that anyone else listening can can listen to yours as well? Yeah. Um, it's been on hiatus for a little bit, but we're trying to bring it back soon. Um, it's called Working Classy. Love that name. Working Classy Podcast. Um, I do it with a friend uh, out in San Francisco, and we basically talk about pursuing your side hustles and pursuing, you know, the the side gig sort of things yeah. and trying to transition from keeping them side gigs to making them more of a main gig. Yeah. So like, you know, on the side of uh, previously years ago, I used to own a t-shirt company. Um, right now I do like web development and graphic design. So, you know, Amazing. there's certain things that you, you do on the side that sometimes you want to push forward to more of your central work. And that's essentially what we talked about. Nice. So you are ready to give people advice on how they should do that or maybe why and what the right timing is for someone to Yeah, to we definitely interview a lot of people who have experience and see what people have done. And it's just kind of exploring the ideas. That sounds great. That's uh, kind of what I'm doing right now. So yeah. that sounds super interesting. Um, okay, so tell us uh, about Aloha Eats, where we can find you, what the hours are, 
and how do we get more people into the into the restaurant? Uh, yeah, we're just uh, alohaeats.com. Um, if you're ever in Lincoln Park, you know, look us up if you want. Um, on Instagram, it's just aloha underscore eats. You can find us on Facebook, anything like that. Um, we're pretty active on social media. So if you wanted to like, you know, leave us a comment or anything. That sounds good. So alohaeats.com, A-L-O-H-A-E-A-T-S.com. And then aloha underscore eats on Instagram. Mm-hmm. and Facebook and people can just Google Aloha Eats Lincoln Park. I think that yeah. would be super easy. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I want to say like, thank you so much for spending the time with me. Like, like I said, I love the food. I love hearing a little bit about more how you got started and what's kept you going all these years. And I thought that was a fantastic episode insight into small business during the pandemic and during the recession. And thank you very much for spending the time with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And my name is Rahul Joshi, and this has been Tell People You Love Them. See you next week.